Well, hello, everybody, and thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Bible Breakdown. Had a fun time last week finishing up the book of Acts, and today we are going to be looking at a little-known letter called Philemon. So that is where we're going to be today. We are going to be looking at the letter to Philemon. This is a letter that is from Paul. Philemon is a person that he is writing to. Um, This book is only one chapter. So it is one of the shortest books in the whole scripture. It is actually in the New Testament. It is number three shortest behind 2nd and 3rd John in terms of number of Greek words that it has in the book. So it's pretty short. We're going to be able to go through most of it today. Um, And so, like I said, this letter is addressed to a person named Philemon. Um, And so there's a unique aspect of this in that this is one of Paul's few letters that goes to is addressed to an individual. So um, we've also got um, the first and second Timothy and Titus that are known as the pastoral epistles. Um, I think maybe often Philemon is thrown in there as well. Um, but these are Timothy and Titus were, were pastors that Paul had discipled. And so he's writing them letters just to kind of help them along as they run their churches. Philemon is a very personal letter. It's not um, specifically referring to wide issues at a church or in an area, but it's a very pointed specific issue that is coming up before Philemon. So it's unique in that way. Um, we do see, though, at the beginning that it's actually addressed to Philemon. And then he also mentions uh, Appia and Archippus as some other people in that house. And then it also says, and the church in your home. So it's kind of this, hey, I'm writing this letter to Philemon, but also there's some corporate benefit to it. To it, So that may explain why um, in the early church this was used as, and seen as scripture um, is because it was also meant to be read corporately. It's not like every letter that Paul wrote to any person was officially scripture just because he wrote it. But we see that this one was written not just to Philemon, but also meant to be um, read perhaps before the church uh, at Philemon that met at Philemon's house. So still very unique. It's very personal in nature. Um, it was likely written during Paul's Roman imprisonment from the end of Acts. So last week we went through Acts 28 and uh, ended with Paul in under house arrest. Um, he was guarded, um, but he was able to to live outside of a prison. People were able to come to him, and that's kind of where Acts ends. And so it's most likely that this letter was written during this time. Um, and the person who delivered this letter was also tasked with delivering the letter of Colossians. So Philemon lived in Colossae. So that is where this letter was going. And it's likely that the person who carried this letter also carried the letter to the church in Colossae. So um, that's kind of the background of this letter. And like I said, it's pretty short. So we're going to get to read quite a bit of it. So let's jump in, find out what is it that Paul is writing to Philemon about? What is the topic? So we'll start in verse four and work through verse seven for our first section. It says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So I think it's pretty clear from this first opening paragraph that Paul and Philemon are pretty close. Um, They have a personal relationship. 
Um, it is not, they are not total strangers. They know one another. And not only that, but Paul has been very refreshed by Philemon. We see that um, the news that he's heard about Philemon has been an encouragement to him during his imprisonment, during perhaps the, his ministry before that, um, just knowing that the gospel is going forth and he was very encouraged by that. Uh, it appears that Philemon was a man of very good reputation. Um, it says he, if he's had the opportunity to hear of the love and faith he has for Jesus and for the saints, then he must be a man of good reputation. He talks about Philemon's sharing his faith. So we see that he is um, he is a person that is furthering the cause of the gospel in Colossae. So we, we see that Philemon is known as a, a good man, a good member of the church, um, someone that Paul knows personally, um, and a huge encouragement to Paul. So that's kind of the background we get here of what we can understand best we can about who Philemon is and who he is to Paul, who he is to the church. So as we move into verse 8, we kind of start to get a little bit of the reason for Paul's personal letter to Philemon. Sorry, in verse 8, we'll go through verse 11. It says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So the reason for the letter, he gives it to us here in verse 10. It's an appeal for this person, Onesimus. So verse 11 is actually a, kind of a play on words, a pun on Onesimus' name. So Onesimus uh, means useful. So he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's useful indeed to you and to me. So you can see he's making a little play on words. Maybe Paul's been in prison a little too long, but maybe Philemon thought it was hilarious. Who knows? But that's what we see is that he's giving an appeal. As of yet, we're not 100% sure of that appeal. We haven't gotten there quite yet, but he is appealing on behalf of this person, Onesimus. And you see this really uh, familial language in verse 10. He says, whose father I became in my imprisonment. He, that verb is literally to give birth to. So uh, the same verse that means to give birth to like a child, that's the same uh, verb that Paul is using here. Uh, Ginao. And so it's kind of an interesting, like, okay, he he really cares about this guy. Um, it was fairly common to refer to someone as who, who's become your child using that verb as well. So he's not using it totally out of its normal usage, but that's basically, the, that's the root usage of it. And this is more of a uh, symbolic use of that word. But you can see that he considered him close. He said, he became my child or I became his father. Um, he, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. So they were very close. Um, and so what we understand through this is what he means when he says he became a father to him is that Onesimus became a believer through Paul's ministry. So Onesimus and Paul met. Um, perhaps Onesimus visited Paul during his imprisonment um, at the, the house where he was allowed to have people come and go. Perhaps that's how they met. Um, but it looks like Onesimus became a believer through Paul's ministry. So he's become very dear to him, as you can see. And so um, as the precursor to this, when Paul is going to make this plea for Onesimus, he reminds or perhaps flexes a little bit on Philemon saying, listen, I could command you to do this, but I'm instead I'm going to ask you. So for those of you with kids, 
Um, I can make you clean your room, but I'd prefer to ask you, I'd prefer you to choose to do it, to choose to obey, to choose to do the right thing. So that's kind of what Paul is doing, but not out of a, um, maybe necessarily trying to teach him good morals. Sounds like Philemon's decently there, but more, uh, I think this is a relational plea. He doesn't want to create tension between himself and Philemon. He wants to treat him as a brother, treat him in a way that uh, shows him respect and deference. And so he's saying, I could require you to do this, but instead I'm going to ask him and let this choice be up to you. Um, so you can see he's kind of trying to maintain that re relational equity here with Philemon on Onesimus' behalf. Um, and he's honestly hoping that he'll do it to him, not just because it's the right thing, but even as a favor to Paul um, in his ministry and in his imprisonment. Again, we haven't quite seen just yet what Paul's plea is for Onesimus. Um, so what is this appeal? We're going to see that a little more clearly in verses 12 through 16. So verse 12 starts, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Okay, so secrets out. Here's the, here's the deal. Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. Best we can tell, he was a servant of Philemon, and it appears that this was not a um, this is not a workers' wages kind of situation. It appears from what we get in this letter that Onesimus was a slave to Philemon. So again, Paul's laying it on kind of thick here. He's I'm sending my very heart. I've been glad to keep him with me. I prefer to do nothing without your consent. So your goodness not, might not be by compulsion. You can see the uh, Paul's letter is really dripping with this, like, this is what you need to do. What I'm asking is what you should do. But at the same time, he is giving him that option. So Paul has sent back Onesimus to his owner. He was Philemon's slave. So from what we can understand, and we actually get a mention of Onesimus at the end of Colossians. Um, so again, we we think that these letters probably were going together at the end of Colossians. Uh, Paul's going to make reference to Onesimus. So it's entirely likely that Onesimus was in whatever party was delivering this letter. So can you imagine um, being in Onesimus' shoes and you have run away from your... Um, master as a slave and then now you return and you have this letter from somebody asking that you be freed so what's most likely is that onesimus has escaped from philemon's uh house that he was a servant of his a slave of his and that he escaped uh, somehow he ended up meeting paul and through meeting paul he actually becomes a believer so it's it's Seems like before when he was with Philemon that he was not a believer. Uh, and then he met Paul, becomes a believer. And then Paul is able to convince Onesimus to go back in this party that is going back to Colossae and to even go back to Philemon. So we see clearly here again that 
Um, Onesimus is very dear to Paul, um, my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me. Um, we, we know that this must have been very difficult for Paul, and you can imagine that it would have been difficult for Onesimus as well. Um, if Paul indeed is writing this letter from Rome, and Philemon is indeed in Colossae, they're about a thousand miles away. So not only did Onesimus run far, far away, but he also had to go a long way back in order to do this very difficult thing to confront Philemon, to go back to Philemon, a place where he had been imprisoned. You can imagine the difficulty of this situation. You can imagine that, oh, awkwardness. How awkward would that be? You're coming back and you got this letter and your friend Paul is saying you should welcome me as a brother. Oh man, so uncomfortable. I just get, my chest gets tight just thinking about it. But anyways, Paul here in verse 14, he he really kind of starts to get back to this after kind of, again, laying it on a little bit thick, like, oh, I love him so much. He kind of starts to get back to, I want you to do this by, not by compulsion of your own accord. Maybe this is why he was apart from you. So we see in verse 15, there's a little bit more wordplay. So it says, I prefer to, or I'm sorry, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. So he left Philemon, right? Onesimus leaves, um, not with permission. Um, but then it says that you might have him back forever. So this is kind of a, perhaps he left, perhaps the Lord's intention in this was that though he leaves you for a while, that you would have him back forever, that you would be now both a part of the kingdom of God into eternity. So a little more wordplay here from Paul. And then in verse 16, he, this is kind of where we finally get what he's asking him to. He's saying, welcome him back, not no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant as a beloved brother, especially to me, how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. So Paul is requesting that Philemon forgive Onesimus as a brother in Christ and no longer as his slave. So this is really what Paul is proposing. He is saying, Philemon, I know you have a right to uh, punish him, a right legally to um, perhaps not welcome him back into your house, perhaps, you know, to take him back into your house and maybe with less freedom, maybe he's a, a slave of poor repute now and that he has a worse life with you. But what Paul is entreating Philemon to do is don't welcome him back or don't rather welcome him back, but don't welcome him back as a slave, but as a beloved brother in Christ, knowing that he is precious to me. And he says, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and the Lord? He's like, I, I consider him a brother, but he's not here with me. I'm a thousand miles away in Rome. He's now back with you. Welcome him. How much more can you welcome him? Because he's right there in front of you. Not only are you uh, not only are you connected through the Holy Spirit, but he's also right there in front of you. Welcome him back as a beloved brother, not as a slave. So this is what Paul's request is to Philemon. It takes him a little while to get there, but we see Onesimus appears was this runaway slave who Paul has convinced to go back in order that he could be reconciled to Philemon. And what he's asking of Philemon is that he receive Onesimus, not as a bondservant, but as a brother. So as we move into verse 17, we will go through uh, 22, kind of see what this conclusion is. Paul says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. 
If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. So what he says is basically, if you have any love for me, receive him as you would receive me. Now, would Philemon receive Paul as his slave? No, Paul is not his slave, so he would not receive him that way. So we see that in verse 16, he's it almost seems like he's alluding to it. Don't receive him as your bondservant or, or slave. Um, receive him as a brother. He's kind of hinting at this idea that he thinks Philemon should not only forgive Onesimus, but that he should also free him, that he should no longer be a bondservant in his house, but received as a beloved brother, received as Paul. So we don't see here any, it's not super direct. Paul's being fairly, um, he's playing his cards close. Um, He is not saying directly exactly what he thinks Philemon should do. But then again, in verse 18, he says, if he's wronged you or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Basically saying, I'll pay back anything that you think is fair based on um, the fact that he left. Um, Though he also throws in this shot in 19. He said, but hey, just so you know, you kind of owe me your own life because I told you about the gospel. So let's also keep that in mind. Paul is, um, he's bold. We can, we will always give him credit for that. Um, But he is reminding too Philemon that um, when he says that you owe me even your own self, he's reminding your eternal life is secure because of the ministry that I had among you. Um, And so he, in verse 20, he admits too, I'm, I'm asking you a favor. He says, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Like I'm asking you as a brother in the Lord for some benefit. I'm not asking you just to do something that is objectively correct. He's like, this is also a favor to me. And he's hoping that it, he's saying that this will refresh him in Christ. So that's one of the reasons he's making uh, this request. And then what he says in verse 21, I'm confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing you will do even more than I say. I think this is where we recognize that uh, Paul is basically telling him, I'm not asking you to free him. But at the same time, I have an expectation that you will do even more than I've asked you, which what he's asked him to do is receive him as a beloved brother and to receive him as he would receive Paul. So he's saying, I think you'll do even more. And I feel like this is a a fairly clear indication of what Paul's expectation is for Philemon, that he will not only forgive Onesimus, not only will he receive him with the right hand of fellowship of uh, being a believer, but that he'll also free him. So... Uh, This is a very interesting letter. It's a very specific situation, one that, again, we don't actually have all the details. We kind of have to read between the lines a little bit here, um, not only with what Paul's asking, but even what the situation is. Um, There are some who think that this could be that there was a dispute between the two and that Onesimus sought out Paul to be a mediator of this dispute. Um, I think there's some holes in that. Um, theory that make it unlikely. I think the fact that he had run away from his service to Philemon seems to be the most uh, likely scenario. Though again, like we're not given the whole situation played out perfectly, but that's what seems to be the case. So what we really see here 
um, as a theme of this book is this theme of reconciliation. So um, there is a significant theme about slavery and the Bible here as well. Time eludes us that we cannot delve too far into that. But let me say this on that. The, this is kind of the last word that we get from the scripture on uh, the institution of slavery. And the last word we get from scripture is, Philemon, as a brother in Christ, you should, you should free a, a brother in Christ who is your slave. And I think that's, that really sets the stage well for what God's ideal is for human interaction and um, not liking the institution of slavery. I do not believe that slavery is God's design for mankind, uh, even though in the scripture we see that there is slavery. Um, again, time eludes us, but what I'll say is this, the last word in scripture on slavery is you should let him go free. I think that says enough. But if we're going to be honest, we're not going to try to force a square peg into a round hole here. We, I think, have to recognize that the real theme here is Christian reconciliation, that it's uh, this conflict resolution, this just, yeah, reconciliation between believers. Um, and this is an incredibly important thing in all of scripture and we see highlighted here. We do not, um, we do not understand our unity in Christ as well as we should. We do not understand the relationship we have to one another in Christ as well as we should. There are a a lot of reasons for that. A lot of it is just our culture. Uh, Our culture is very individualistic. The body of Christ is very communal and it kind of flies in the face of some of our American ideals. But, and when I say we, I mean we, including me, we do not understand what Christ would have us do for one another, be for one another. Um, There is a book by T.M. Scanlon called What Do We Owe to Each Other? And if you're thinking, wow, Blake knows a lot about philosophy books. I do not. I've watched the show The Good Place. So if you've also watched TV, you could have the chance to know this too. So I just want to be honest about that. I'm not some fancy person who reads a bunch of philosophers. But in the show The Good Place, one of the characters, Chidi, he talks about this book, What Do We Owe to Each Other? And it's basically a book about how... um, we form these social contracts and the best contract is one that no one could object to. And it's all these very philosophical things that are not, um, not well rooted in the person of Jesus or in what God would have for us. But at the same time, it opens up this great question for us. What, what do we as believers, if we are in Christ, what do we owe to each other? What is our responsibility to one another? I want to give you a quote from, you probably remember me quoting Douglas Moo, a.k.a. Dougie Moo, um, from a, I think it was from the James commentary. Well, he's got a Philemon one too. So uh, I was using that to get some of this background information. And he's got a great quote here about just the theme of this book. He says this, Believing in Christ Jesus joins us to other believers in an intimate family unit. Within that new relationship, would take, which takes pride of place in all our relationships and dictates how those other relationships are to be lived out, we bear responsibilities for one another. It is those responsibilities that Paul spells out in this letter. This short private letter stands then as an important reminder of the communitarian aspect of Christianity that many of us in our individualist cultures 
are so prone to forget. In Christ, we belong to one another. We enjoy each other's company and support, and we are obliged to support to the point of sacrificing our own time, interests, and money, our brothers and sisters. So really his point is kind of what I was saying in that we we don't quite have it figured out. We live in a very individualistic society, and sometimes we don't realize when we become one in Christ, what it is that we owe to each other. We don't understand our responsibility to one another. A lot of times we think about what community can provide for us and not to say at all that we don't help provide for one another. But I think sometimes we have a very short, narrow view of what it means to belong to one another, to belong to Christ, to be brothers and sisters and what that says of us. I want to tell you all a story that um, happened to me while I was in seminary. Um, I was in a class. It was a preaching class. And um, we, what we would do is somebody would preach, then everybody would, you know, kind of give some, some notes, try to identify the main points, stuff like that, just to, you know, help each other get better. And then the professor would also chime in, which was always the scary part. Well, one of my friends gave a, a sermon. And after that sermon, there was something in it that had really um, struck a nerve with our professor. And he just, he just laid into the guy. Um, it went beyond critiquing his sermon. It went it was very personal. Like the, the criticism was very personal. Um, and it was just, um, it was a a hard thing to be a part of. And, uh, it just really ate away at me and, and bothered me. Um, this is not a professor that I particularly had a, a great relationship with, um, especially after this incident. Um, and so I wrestled for a couple of weeks with, what, what do I do with this that's on my heart that I feel like I need to say something or do something about this? So um, after thinking about some options, I said, well, the, the best thing, the thing that Jesus has prescribed is if we have a, a quarrel with our brother that we go to them. So um, I, in great terror and shakiness and anxiety, uh, scheduled a meeting with the professor um, with the purpose of telling him that I thought he had wronged this other student in our class. So uh, I get in there, I'm talking between shaky words, and I just told him I thought what happened um, was very hurtful and that um, I think it really hurt the other students' feelings and um, that I thought that he was wrong and how he acted. Um, and it's one of those situations where if you've ever been in a place like that, you know, you play over the conversation about a thousand times in your head. Um, I'd probably done it 10,000 times, and I thought of every avenue it could go down, and pretty much all of them were bad, but what happened was he, um, he was very, uh, humble. He said, I, I think you're right. I think that the way I reacted was poor. Uh, what do you think that I should do of all the scenarios that played out? There wasn't one single one in which he asked me what I thought he should do. So I was very caught off guard by that. I thought I'd plan for every eventuality. And, uh, I told him, I was like, I think it'd be great if you apologize to the student. Um, he asked me, do you think I should apologize in front of everyone? I, I told him that I think that would would send a really strong message to the class, that it would be a very um, positive experience for the whole class, but um, that I didn't plan on telling him what to do. So uh, the next week, uh, he got up in front of the class uh, and he uh, apologized to the student in front of everyone um, profusely. Um, I mean, it was just such a sincere apology. Um, and he told the student, I was like, whatever you think I need to do to make it right, I'll do it. Um, and so it was 
like for everybody, I think was a huge healing moment. And I, I talked to him afterwards. I told him I, I would, that I was just thankful that he was willing to do it. And what he said was, it's our responsibility to one another. It's not a, it's not a choice that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Our responsibility is to one another. And that of all the things that he taught me that semester, uh, that's a lesson I'll never forget because he showed just such a humility as a professor in his seventies to students in their twenties and thirties, uh, a person with decades of experience showing humility and vulnerability and being willing to ask for forgiveness. Um, that's a lesson that I'll never forget. And really what it taught me was we don't have an option. We don't have an option when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't get to choose whether or not we treat each other like we're brothers and sisters. It's so easy for us to stick with the people we like, avoid the people we don't like. And there's a, a huge part of the body of Christ that we're missing in that is that uh, Christ has called us to unity, even when there are people we never would have chosen before. So if I was to answer that question from TM Scanlon, what do we owe to each other? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we owe everything to each other. We owe everything. Ultimately, as a corporate body, we owe everything to Christ, and he's called us to owe everything to one another to pursue reconciliation at all costs, to pursue the good of one another at all costs, even when it comes at great cost to ourselves, to great humility, to great difficulty. That's what he's called us to. That's what the world can see in us. So this letter from Paul to Philemon, when he's asking this person who's run away from his master to ask forgiveness of his master, when maybe he feels he should never have been owned in the first place, that's what we're talking about. That's difficult. That's the reconciliation that is required of brothers and sisters in Christ. Can you imagine going to someone that was your slave master and asking them for your forgiveness? Not that any of us will probably find ourselves in that situation, but what does that require? What does that say about who Jesus is? And now put yourself in Philemon's shoes to have someone who has left your employee, that they have abandoned you, that they have broken a law, run away for them to come back for them to have a letter in which it's requested, could you please forgive all his debts and take him back, free him, welcome him as instead your brother in Christ. That's the kind of supernatural relationship that we're talking about when we talk about being brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what separates us from the world. So what we learn from this book of Philemon is we owe it to each other. We owe it all to one another. That's what community is. We owe each other everything. And oftentimes that's played out most meaningfully with most difficulty and grieving in the process of reconciliation. So I hope whatever your situation is, whatever the situation in which you are in conflict, that you need to be reconciled to one another, that we can take that cue, especially if that person is a believer in Jesus, hopefully we can take this cue from scripture that whatever the cost, reconciliation is worth it to one another so that we can honor and glorify the difference that Christ has made in our lives.